What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Real Bodybuilding Podcast, and I am here with Mr. Arash Rabar. How are you, sir? What's up, brother? I'm good, man. Pleasure to be here. How's it going, man? I uh, thought I'd make the switch from bodybuilding to classic today. Uh, I'm flattered, man. Thanks. <laughs> Big fan of the show. You know, yeah. uh, it's it's good to be here chatting with you. Yeah, I want to have you on, man, because you know, regardless of whether it's bodybuilding, classic, or men's physique, or or any women's division, we're all kind of doing the same thing, and. I noticed you when you first turned pro and I was like, this guy's got a crazy physique. So, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about is how you developed your physique and how you, did you plan everything to be perfectly proportionate? Did, is it genetic? Like how did you, how did you structure your workouts, your training splits to get to where you are now? One of the things I noticed on your Instagram was you posted your before and after from when you started, I think. Yeah. And uh, I think, before, you know what, before we start, before we get into the, into the, into the uh, conversation, I wanted to show people quickly your, who, who you are for those people who don't know who Arash is, because I have some people who are casual bodybuilding fans. Yeah. But this is, this is Arash. This is probably the best representation. <clears throat> Keep completely flawless physique, nothing missing, nothing lagging. Um, very, very impressive. But the picture I was alluding to was this one. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I, I thought I was big over there on the left. You did, didn't you? Yeah. Is that is that are you okay? What's your background? Let's get into that. I'm Persian. I was born in Iran. So you're born in Iran. When did you come to America? That's an interesting story on its own. A whole nother podcast. I was born in uh, 80 and the Islamic revolution was going on at that time. It happened in 1979. So my parents, just like everybody else back then, didn't know what was going on. Um, my, my sister was five years old and we literally escaped. We walked out of the country on foot. Wow. I was, uh, I was put physically inside of a gym bag. So maybe that's why I became a bodybuilder, but they carried me out. Yeah. Okay. Wait a minute. We can't. <laughs> look, 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 there's no time limits on this podcast. I don't want to, I don't want to take too much of your time, but you can't just give me that story with no details. So, so basically back then to get out of the country, the borders were closed, literally Islamic revolution. So it's like, what, what do you do? You know, yeah. um, they basically had two men that, that, uh, knew the route through the mountains and um they basically carried us but i was so young i was so little they bundled me up and put me inside yeah. of a gym bag how old were you i was a year old you're a year old and you had a sister only yeah so your mom and dad and you and your sister yep kind of hiked out we literally walked out of iran um yeah. basically we'd walk at night it was in the snow by the way it was in yeah. the winter and then during the day, they would like hide us in these little villages. <clears throat> they pay yeah. the people off. And, and then we'd walk again at night and finally made our way to Dubai, where we flew to the U.S. What did your dad do for a living, if you don't mind me asking? When he was, he was very young back then. He was a martial artist, a kung fu guy. And he okay. worked like uh, just a regular job in a factory. When we came here, uh, they got into the restaurant business. And that's what I grew up in. So I worked in the restaurant from when okay. I was like 13 years old up until my mid-20s. So you hike out, you get to Dubai, and then you get somehow get to America. Yeah. Did you have family here? Yeah, my dad's brother was already here, so he he took us in and helped us out a lot in the beginning. We have like the same story, you know that, eh? Yeah. Well, well, not really, because I was born here, but my family story, uh, my my dad, we left Lebanon because of the war in the uh, mid seventies with Israel, and. Uh, my dad had a brother living here in Canada. 
and he flew here first and got a job at a factory and then my family followed and then I was born here. Wow. But uh, it's a similar, I mean, we didn't, it's not yeah. as, it's not as dramatic as your story, but <laughs> I have a lot, a, I have a lot of cousins, <laughs> that the same thing, you know, I have a lot yeah. of family, family all over the world. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them had the same thing. A lot of people went over to Europe. Like there's a lot of Persians, yeah. Iranians, whatever you like to call them, like in Germany yeah. and UK. Yeah. yeah. So you were, so you were born there, but essentially you grew up in America. Yeah. Yeah. And did you grow up working at the restaurant? Like with the, with the family? Yeah, man. I started working like, I think like a little before I was 13 years old. I loved it. I loved making money and being on my own, but yeah. working for my dad, I mean, I, any any time somebody was sick or didn't show up, I had to work, and he always yeah. knew where I was. You know, we lived together. So <laughs> I was I was playing football. I was working out like in between whenever I could train, either at lunch or after school, and then I was working every single yeah. day I had free. So it it was tough, and we had we had a big restaurant and we had a stage. It was like a cabaret. So we had these okay. famous Persian singers coming from California. Yeah, we had belly dancers. So Friday, Saturday nights, I'd work to three, four in the morning. There was yeah. there was a couple of times where I literally locked up at five, six in the morning. At thirteen, at thirteen years old. At thirteen, I was busboying and I was working yeah. to three, four. But when I got older and I was running the restaurant, I'd be locking up. So it's safe to say your work ethic comes from watching your parents build the business. Yeah, we had I mean, to. Fight. We always fought, you know. Who you fought to survive or fought you guys in family fight or fight to survive? What do you mean? Fight to survive. Fight to survive. Okay. But was the, was the restaurant successful? They were, you know, but it was tough. We were, yeah. you know, we never like made it, made it, you know, my, my family always struggled yeah. to live where they lived for the school district and they worked very hard. Um, the restaurant business is tough, man. It's really, really tough. You're in, when they moved to the States, you're in New York. Yeah, we moved straight here. I lived in Cali for two years, like years down the line, but pretty much yeah. lived in New York. Did you live in Cali by yourself or the family moved there? My family moved there. Okay, okay. And then did they move to Cali first and then back to New York or just like in between they went there? In between, we went there for two years and it was a great time to go because it was before like San Diego, the economy built and stuff. And my dad yeah. opened a restaurant with some of his family members there. Yeah. Persian restaurants, by the way, all kebab yeah. and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, delicious. All the yeah. good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't do well, so we were forced to come back. On you know, it would have worked out great if we stayed there. I always think like, how would my life be different? What would I be doing? You know, would I be bodybuilding? Would I be racing cars? Because that's that was like my first passion ever. Oh, we're gonna see. We're gonna get along. I think we're like the same. Are we like we're like the same person? Except I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bigger. He pounds more muscle. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so okay, the work ethic. So now I know where the work ethic comes from, but. Where you said you were working out like in between. So where did the working out start and why? Well, like early on, just like a lot of guys, my dad was a, a Kung Fu instructor in Iran. So he got me into martial arts. So I started judo and different types of martial arts when I was really, really young. So I did that for 15 years. Um, but just growing up, man, seeing like pictures of Arnold, Bruce Lee, Van Damme, even Hulk Hogan, it's like mm -hmm. that that masculinity, like, I, I, you know, in my, in my mind at that age, I said, that's what a man is supposed to look like. So yeah. I always aspired to be muscular and like, I think I was maybe 11 or 12. I, I conned my parents into getting me a couple dumbbells and barbells mm. from the models over here. And, um, you know, I just messed around at home. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. But once I got up, I was in middle school. One of my good friends, also a Persian kid, his brother and cousins were like the captain of the football team in high school. Yeah. And he played football. I didn't, I didn't even know what a first down was, but yeah. He took me up to the high school, introduced, introduced me to the football coach, and we started using the weight room in the high school gym. And the football yeah. 
the coach let us because, you know, he knew we were going to play football. So I go to high school, I'm still lifting weights. I'm becoming a little bit more muscular, but I was small. Like you saw that picture. I didn't have like that big stocky genetics, you know, but, Um, but wait, before you go on, did you think you were big in that photo? (laughs) You know, no, not really. But I, I saw like a little dimple in my chest. I've, I'm very hard on myself. So I never, I never think even at 260, I don't think I'm big. You know? Did you, did you have any of the like bravado growing up that wore off or were you always more of a humble person? I was always fairly humble, you know, yeah. okay. um, for, listen, unfortunately in the earlier years, there's a lot of insecurity that made me humble, you know, yeah. some was, guys get a little yeah. bit cocky with the insecurity I just, I, I value humility. Like, you know, sure. anytime you see somebody that has something nice or cars or money or muscles, when they're arrogant, it's just like, it's, there's nothing to envy there, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I don't mean envy in a bad way, but look up to and aspire to be like, like, I don't know when or how or why, but from early age, I always valued humility. Like, I think that's a very attractive trait to have. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions. So one, um, did your, was your dad into those physiques like when he saw like did your dad watch wrestling or boxing or any of those action movies with arnold and and you know or wrestling with hulk hogan did your dad get into that stuff too or no yeah he loved the movies he loved the movies the thor the gladiator type of movies but he was never like he never aspired to be muscular there's a couple pictures i have of my dad in a in a grass field with the kung fu pants and no shirt on and doing like a a, a side uh, roundhouse kick and he looks yeah. exactly like Bruce Lee with a mustache and a hairy <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> an air uh, Persian Bruce Lee yeah, um, yeah. so he was nope. he was thin and cut up you know he never lifted weights although lifting weights was big in Iran he he was not a bodybuilder yeah well the reason I ask is I have my own theory about my bodybuilding career which is my dad I remember being young and my dad was big on watching wrestling. And he would, you know, Paul, or- Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff would throw up the front double and my dad loved it. I think it was almost like you, as a kid, you see your dad watching that stuff and maybe that's why you take on that, that role. So that's why I was asking, maybe that's why I had something to do with it. I think so. You know, I think so. Yeah. He, he, he was into those type of movies and it's just that, that bravado, like you said, like yeah. that, that masculinity, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he used to spar with me at a really young age and got me into martial arts and it's all about being tough and strong and big. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You said something about, um, insecurity was the insecurity, anything to do with, uh, being different or was it being smaller or where did the insecurity come from? You know, for me, that's a really good question. Cause it's like a deep, uh, rooted for me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't smaller than the average kid by any means, you know, I was an average size. But when we came to this country, like I said, my parents, they didn't know how to speak English. They had to work and go to school. My dad slept like three hours for about 15 years. Yeah. So they taught me Farsi at home. So I speak fluent Farsi now, which is great. But yeah. what they said is, oh, you know, when he goes to school, he'll learn English. That's rough, man, because yeah. I, I remember when I'm, I don't have a lot of memories from when I was a kid, but one memory I do have is standing in the doorway at kindergarten. And I remember looking into this classroom and all these American kids were running back and forth and talking to each other. And I was just like, holy shit, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. I didn't understand what was going on, what I was supposed to do, what they were doing. Yeah. And I didn't speak their language. So I felt very alienated. Okay. And you fast forward to high school, I was a martial artist a football player i was pretty much the most muscular kid like with a nice physique i was a popular kid but i didn't feel like i belonged and that feeling stuck with me till almost my whole life you know now i've definitely grown into myself and learned a lot more i'm older but into my 20s it stayed with me too so i just always sorry how old are you now 
I'm 40. So let me guess. You probably didn't start to feel good till like 35. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cause I, like I, I, came, I feel like I came into my own skin and started feeling more comfortable with myself in like my thirties, my early thirties, late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. I say that because you described my childhood too. Like, coming here, I was born here, but like, you're different. Right. And even though I spoke the language when I got to, um, you know, kindergarten or whatever, I was different from all the kids. There was no, everybody was white. And I was the only, like, I, I think there was one black kid and it was me and you just feel kind of out of place. So, and it was the same kind of thing you're saying is I didn't learn to feel, and I spoke fluent Arabic at home. I still do with my mom. She can't, she kind of speaks broken English, yeah. but, um, but it took me time as well. Like the same thing. It was like, till I was 25, 30, even 35 till I was like, this is who I am. So I wonder, but I, but I always also point to the fact that I wonder if that's exactly why we excel in sports is we're trying to find a way to fit in. Right. Like you said, you were popular in high school. So that was your way of kind of getting past not being the same as everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the human psyche is, is, is pretty deep. Who said it was it uh, Aristotle or no, not Aristotle. I said, show me, show me the boy till seven and I'll show you the man, you know? So yeah. what we go through till the age of seven, like it's specific, everything that happens to us, everything we're told, everything we see, all the energy and people around us from day one till day seven, it affects us. It creates, makes us who we are. So all yeah. those experiences that we had made us who we were. I didn't consciously want to become big and tough to compensate, yeah. but what, was it, was it a part of that? And did it come stem from that? Absolutely. Possibility. Absolutely. You know, it's yeah. definitely possible. Yeah. I don't, I'm the, I'm the same way. Like I played football and everything and I didn't, uh, I didn't do it. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is my way to fit in, but it's almost like a subconscious thing. Like yeah. you find a way to kind of get, past any of your differences i guess by kind of blending in that way so you played football in high school were you a good football player or were you just kind of on the team for fun i was good i was good yeah. i was very athletic man i was very very fast for my size like i yeah. i was maybe like in that picture 130 i was 130 135 pounds but i got up to 175 pounds in high school taking creatine um dextrose like gatorade with the creatine yeah, yeah it's yeah. first started as grape juice and yeah. i was i was crazy man i was a psychopathic bodybuilder like from an early age so i was carrying a gallon of water in high school i was eating i had my own refrigerator by the age of 16 what do you mean at home yeah yeah so your, par I, your parents were like if you're not going to eat our food you got to get your own fridge no i just didn't have there was no room in the fridge i used to buy we used to go to restaurant depot for the restaurant and i used to buy 40 pounds of chicken Okay. I take it home. Yeah. I put saran wrap on the kitchen island. Yeah. And I go to work. I'd trim off the fat. I'd weigh it into Ziploc bags, and I put it in the freezer. You know. That's incredible, so, man. Yeah. So I, you got. I learned, I learned about nutrition and um, really, really early on. I emulated Ronnie and Dorian. That's what I wanted to be. So that's where does that where you got your information from? You read like the Flex magazines and stuff like that, and you kind of try and copy the diets. I couldn't afford magazines. I was basically back then we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have all the yeah. stuff we have now. I would rummage through forums and muscle mayhem yeah, was Chad yeah. Nichols. Forum. Yes, yes. I got like 99% of my information from that forum. I, I studied yeah. as if I was in college. I studied bodybuilding for a yeah. solid 10 years till I could really get a grasp of things and start growing. So was football like an afterthought and really bodybuilding was your passion or was football just as important to you? Like were you football. body were you bodybuilding for football or were you bodybuilding because you loved it and football was also there? So I started lifting a lot 
more consistent and heavier for football to get bigger. But right around that time is when I had access to a gym. So I kind of did it for football, but I did it all year round. So when football season was over, I actually got smaller because we used to run so much and I'd stop training and I'd go right back into, to, to lifting weights. And then I actually joined the gym Mm. uh, and and it took off from there. So football, I loved football when I played it, but like, I didn't even literally know what a first down was until I started playing. I just kind of played it because it was, it looked cool and exciting. And I was able to run head first into somebody and not get in trouble. (laughs) Were you, was football done after high school or did you play, did you go to college? No, I I did go to college, but I didn't play college ball. Uh, We we didn't have a big school, so I was forced to play offense and defensive line. I was fairly strong, so I got away with it, but I was not a lineman. I was not the right size. I should have been a running back or fullback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where did, okay, so where does bodybuilding fit into all this? Uh, Where where is your first competition? Where do you even start thinking about competitions? So I graduated high school. Bodybuilding is a huge part of my life. I didn't know anyone that competed. Uh, I didn't have any mentors. I did this all on my own. And I kind of went against the grain because I was the weirdo that wouldn't eat and the guy that carried the water. I didn't have any friends that did it, you know? So it wasn't, it wasn't easy. My parents were questioning me. Everyone was just questioning me, everything I did. But as I got older, year after year after high school, I learned more and I got more serious. And I was always pretty, you know, six pack, nice abs getting bigger. But once I really learned what it takes to get bigger and especially doing it naturally, yeah. I was like, what am I doing, man? I forget the diet. And I just blew up. I got really big. What do you mean you learned what it takes? What is that? When I really like figured out that you're not going to grow much staying fairly lean, staying okay. eight percent, even 9%. I, I realized that I need to put on size. I need to eat more caloric surplus. And back then we're talking about late nineties, early two thousands, bodybuilders got huge yeah. borderline fat in the off season. <laughs> yeah. So again, like I wasn't, I wasn't looking at like fitness models or like, like guys on the beach. I basically studied and emulated Ronnie Coleman and Dorian Yates. Kevin Lavrone was one of my top favorites at the time too, but I still have the v- VHS blood and guts in my mom's house. Yeah. Ronnie Unbelievable was my favorite. Like I used to watch it at night, go to sleep thinking that, wake up and, and try to live that to the point where I ate grits. I didn't know what grits were, but I ate grits because <laughs> of Ronnie, you know, and, and what happened was I ended up overdoing it. So I ended up at one point in my mid twenties eating about 8,000 calories a day. And it was really difficult to get in the food. And I ended up going up to 253 pounds, but it was very sloppy. How tall are you? Like 5'10", 5'11"? Quarter. You can't take that quarter from me. Because <laughs> I can't so you were 5'10", 250. 5'10", Two, a quarter, 250. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty fucking big, man. So, but, but you're saying it wasn't pretty. I have pictures. I think on the Generation Iron, when they did the road to the Arnold with me, we yeah. put pictures up. Okay. Um, so I have the pictures. I can share them tomorrow on social media. No, it wasn't pretty. 250 was not pretty. <laughs> Anything like over 225, I think, started getting sloppy. But like if I saw that body composition now, I would stop immediately and do a mini yeah. diet. But back yeah. then, you know, I met King Kamali really young, uh, early yeah. on. And I, yeah. I started hanging out with King a little bit, just became friends with him. And then yeah. we're in Sound Factory in New York City. I don't know if you know that club. It's after- I've, heard, I've heard. I've heard of it. Yeah. So we're in Sound Factory hanging out. Next thing I know, Craig Titus is over here, Chris Comier, Dennis James. So I met all these guys. They probably don't remember. They didn't know who yeah. I was. And I was like, you know, holy shit. How, so, old, how old were you at that time? Like 19, 20? No, I was like 21, 22. Okay, maybe. okay, okay. 
And, you know, I saw King, I saw all these guys and I wanted to take the next level. But again, I was natural and I was staying natural. So it was the food. So I just started eating and King used to get fat in the off season. Lee Priest used to get fat in the off season. So when I saw that, that body fat, I just kept on going. Whereas now in retrospect, I should have stopped, but I got extremely strong and I definitely put on a lot of dense muscle. See, that's the, I mean, we're going to, I'm going to go off on a tangent now because the people that watch the show know how I feel about uh surpluses in the off season i'm i'm a i'm a eat like get big kind of guy like don't stay lean it's not gonna work i've learned now that you can obviously go too far with it but everybody i know who's put on a significant amount of size did that at some point so even though you look back at it now and you kind of regret it or not regret it but maybe would do it differently it worked for you right it worked well for me man but i also like you know it's People just don't, people nowadays, I don't know how to even phrase this. People nowadays just don't, I think they get it, but they don't want to get it. You just, it's very simple. You just need to train your ass off, work hard, very basic and eat enough to grow. So yeah, I ate that much, but for about 11 years, I trained four to six reps. I borderline and I never power lifted, but that's how I trained. So I learned about Dorian's training method. Then I studied the Metzler brothers. And then I learned this training method called max OT maximum overload training. Then I came up with my own, like I called it blunt force trauma back then BFT, but it's just heavy ass weight. And I didn't do anything above six reps for a long time. Now I can't do that now because the amount of strength that we have with my, my injuries, I just wouldn't be able to last, but that's what really got me big strong and just that mature looking muscle but wouldn't but do you think <clears throat> i would venture to say that if you didn't get that big in the off season you wouldn't have been able to sustain that type of lifting i agree yeah like you have to have a little bit of as bro science as it sounds you have to have a little bit of cushion kind of yeah. you know what i mean and you got to just just deal with it like nowadays yeah. everybody you go on instagram and you see like everyone's shredded eating pizza leaning on a Ferrari. And you think that's how everyone looks all year round. Some guys do. And some guys, you don't know their story, but at the end of the day, I forget the 253, even under 253, even a 230. I didn't look like anyone looks on Instagram. I looked impressive with clothes on, but I was soft. I didn't have any vascularity. I didn't have any muscle hardness. Anybody that looks like that at 230 pounds natural at 5'10 is is lying to you. It's just not not humanly possible. So I wore my belt real tight with a 4XL hoodie or a 4XL t-shirt. And I looked freaky. I looked, I tried to look like Dorian. I tried to look like Ronnie when they train and how you look really, really matters, you know, for like you guys that are listening that you guys want to get huge and you want to get big, all this stylish clothes nowadays is real trendy and cool with the skinny legs. But if you don't look big to yourself in the mirror and you don't feel big, you're not going to get big. I can agree with that. Yeah. You know, so I used to wear like really baggy, just champion, like $5 sweats and and get just, you know, blood and guts. That's how I trained. So if your passion, I mean, we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but if your passion was bodybuilding, I mean, obviously you followed a lot of bodybuilders, hung out with a lot of bodybuilders. Where, why didn't you keep going towards bodybuilding? Okay. So I technically did. I just was, wasn't big, you know, <laughs> I, I bodybuild and bodybuild and I was such a perfectionist. I wanted to be the best natural bodybuilder in the world. Like a lot of people okay. might be laughing, but that was my goal. Yeah. You know, it was the Hercules. And then as I got older, I became friends with a couple of natural bodybuilders and I would go to the the gym with them, go to the shows with them, do posing with them. But I kept on putting off competing. I kept saying, yeah. I need to get this bigger. I need to get that bigger. And I kept procrastinating. Sure. 
And when I got to the point where I felt like I was ready, I was like, not that I was ready, but just my life allowed. I was 34 years old and I was living close to Bev's finally. So I was training at Bev's and men's physique was really popular. And I yeah. was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this, but I wasn't big enough to really, I might've won one or two NPC shows, but like at the top level or go pro, I just, I was natural. I wasn't that big. Yeah. So it was either like men's physique and NPC or a natural bodybuilding show. And all my friends over here at Bev's, everyone was NPC and men's physique was really big. So I, I did it. Um, I didn't love it. It felt a little awkward for me, but I did it. And I turned pro in like three months. I won my first show, didn't win team universe to turn pro. And then I turned pro at, uh, in Pittsburgh, which is a tough show. Um, so you turned, okay. So one second. So you started in men's physique at 34 years old. Yeah. So this is, I'm trying to find you here. How old oh, yeah. is this? So you see the green shorts? The green, these, this one. That's, yeah, I, that was Atlantic States. I won the overall. That was my first show ever. Look at you. you fucking look great. This is natural? Yeah. Come on. Oh, this is this is nothing, Fud. If you see <laughs> if you see the next morning, I look soft and, and flat here. If you see the next morning at Bev's, I ate a box of Costco cookies, a bowl of pasta, and like five iced teas. I looked like a, a, a lightweight. That's Sadiq. You see Sadiq interviewing me? He's like twice my size. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right here. Yeah, so you do. Next, you, you could you could be, yeah, you're that. You could be natural here for sure. Yeah, I can see that. The My back shot in that show looks pretty good. The front, I look like I look soft there. But the next day at Bev's, I looked like I was on freaking Trent and GH. Yeah, because yeah. all that food, I blew up. And there was these two guys staring at me. And they kept looking at me. They kept looking at me. Finally, they came over and they're like, hey, are you a middleweight or a lightweight bodybuilder? I'm like, I'm a men's physique competitor. And the guy was a photographer, really nice Polish guy from um, from from Flex magazine. So he's like, do you mind if I take a picture of you? And if and if Steve allows, we'll put it in the back of the magazine, like next to the Beth Francis. And so that was my first time ever being in a magazine. Yeah. But um, I don't know where the picture is, but I looked like I look back on that picture. Sometimes I'm, I have the tan on from last night. I'm yeah. wearing a, a yellow Adidas shirt that I cut. I don't look like that. I look like a different person, man, from all the water and fluids hydrated there. I've been there. It's like, it's like an, it happens by accident. And you're like, how come I can't replicate this? Yeah. Because it happened, it's happened to me before. I finished a show, my second show ever, I actually won. I won the overall. And then right after the show, I remember guzzling like, I don't know, a couple liters of water or like Pepsi. I can't remember what it was. And then we started taking some photos. You know how they have the backdrop backstage sometimes? We start yeah. taking photos. I look at the photos that I took like an hour. It's not even, it's like maybe an hour or two after getting off stage and my body looked totally different. And I'm like, why yeah. couldn't I do that an hour before? I mean, I was happy because I won anyway, but it's like, sometimes you can't replicate. It's the, the fluid, man, that old yeah. school bodybuilding, like guys are cutting fluid like a week out slowly. I, mean, I know. I no know. one does that anymore, man. No one does that. No one shares it though. Like, I don't know why guys, they, I don't know. They don't want to tell their secrets. Like when I'm backstage at the Olympia for the press conference, mm-hmm. all the guys that are in the press conference are the top guys. Everyone from men's physique to open bodybuilding has a huge jug of water in their hands. No one really? is. I was the only one that wasn't drinking and couldn't yeah. even talk because my mouth was so dry because I have to make weight. Yeah. But yeah, everybody's drinking, man. I don't I don't recall. I remember doing that for one or maybe two shows. But it doesn't I the one time I tried it didn't work well for me. Well, cutting water? No, drinking all the way up mm-hmm. like to the show. Yeah. I mean, I did it with John Meadows uh for the couple shows that I won, but we did such a small amount, like 250 milliliters of water. Yeah. Like the day of. Right. But I did it once where I drank like four liters of water the day before. 
I looked like I just didn't even diet. It was just smooth. You carb up with the same day. Well, we start. Carb- I started carving up on Wednesday, right? So, I mean, I'm sure there was something in the plan that didn't work well with it. I know, I know, a lot of guys do it. Like, you know, most of the guys I talk to now leave water in all the way up to stage, yeah. like you say. But I'm still probably from that earlier generation where we just, you know, cut water a little bit, cut water Wednesday, Thursday, and then completely on Friday. Yeah, and then we we'll walk on stage, kind of thing. So, why did you wait from 21, 22 when you're hanging out with these guys? these pros to finally decide to compete, you know, like 13, 14 later, 14 years later. Maybe that insecurity. I don't know, man. I just, Oh, you were one of those. I had friends like that, that were like really good, but they didn't think they were good enough to compete. So they just, they'd be like, Oh, next year. You know, I just, I wanted to be what I knew that I could be. Mm -hmm. Um, And you gotta, you gotta understand like a lot of the younger guys nowadays, you have all these different people to look up to. You have men's physique pros to look up to and fitness models. Yeah. I was looking up to Kevin Lavrone, Dorian Yates, and Ronnie Coleman. Yeah. Do you know what that does to you mentally? And I can't, I can't leave out Flex Wheeler and yeah. a bunch of other guys. Nasser, I love Nasser. Every everybody, but those are the top guys. When you grow up looking at the top, the the the, the bodybuilders in the '90s. Forget back then. I'm still not happy with my physique. Yeah. So, no. Well. Like. You see Kevin, I mean, I just was looking at a picture of Kevin the other day after he was on your show. And man, like that's when you look at that, it's you're very hard on yourself. So I just stayed covered up and I just kept on training, kept on training, chipping away. And uh, it wasn't easy. You know, there was many years where I didn't have like a beach body and I didn't look good. But Mm -hmm. I didn't I guess I didn't know why I was doing it. I just knew that I had to be doing this. Did your family you said you were the weird person kind of growing up that was the only (laughs) one that was into it. Where your mom or dad or your sister, were they like, what are you doing? Like, this is ridiculous. You know, my mom and sister are very, they're very, very supportive. So is my dad. They're always very supportive. So they always were by my side, whatever I wanted to do. But my dad and mom definitely questioned it when I was really young, especially with the, with the vitamins, the supplements, they were like, what are these powders? You know, in yeah. their personal accent, yeah. Yeah. you could get it from fruit and vegetables. I was like, no, you can't. You know? <laughs> I got, I got so, that. I got that too. <laughs> and you know, my yeah. dad, like, again, he wasn't a bodybuilder, so he didn't love when I got super heavy, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when you're dieting, which I didn't do much, I dieted in high school a couple of times and got as lean as I could. Uh, after that in my twenties, I was just big all the time, but you know, they don't, you know, the, the extreme massive bloated eating everything and then like sunken in face eating like a bird, you know, yeah. that scares people. <laughs> so when you're, so you're 34 and you decide to compete and then you do, did you win that show? Sorry. I didn't know if you won so that I, show. You said I won overall that first show Atlantic States. So, so were you hooked at that I point? My back. What? Yeah. I saw that back shot. There's not a, there's not a good one, but the insertions are really good. Yeah. Did you, were you at that point where you hooked? You're like, this is what I want to do after you won. It, it was, I was hooked. I loved like winning and being on stage, but I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do because I didn't love men's physique. Okay. You know, I had respect for it. And I was like, you know what? I'm a bodybuilder. Like I, yeah. when I got off that stage, I was curling 60 pound dumbbells. I, I looked small, but I was strong and I was lifting heavy. I never changed my style of training. Yeah, I just yeah. wasn't big back then. So I didn't really know what I was going to do or how I was going to go about it. Mm-hmm. So what, when, when did classic start? When was the first year for classic? So that was 2014. I turned pro. Yeah. I competed one more year, 2015, which was a weird year for me. I did three pro shows in men's physique. I didn't do bad. And then they announced classic. How did you do in those pro shows? 
So I did a uh, first show was Pittsburgh pro. I just, I just kind of looked soft. I got like 11th or 12th. And you're still doing things natural at this point. Uh, in the first men's physique show, no, but I was on okay. no injectables. Okay. So I did, I did Anivar, Arimidex, and Provira, and it wasn't the smartest thing, but sure. that's what I was told to do. So there's a huge difference in my physique there, if you see it. I'll see if I can find it. Keep talking. I was actually sharing my blood work with somebody recently because I've been having some issues the past few years, and I gave him eight years of blood work. And he saw the 2014 blood work just for my own files. I went and got blood work two weeks before I turned pro. And my test was like 200 after six months of dieting naturally. So it just disappeared? Completely disappeared. If you diet naturally and you don't diet intellectually with the good, good uh, healthy fats, yeah. your testosterone level will plummet. So for you guys out there, you know, over dieting and killing yourself. Okay, lead me the way here. Where are we? These, right, this so, is your first show. What's this? So first show, that is New York Pro uh, as a pro. So that's probably about 10 pounds of muscle or maybe less, maybe seven pounds of muscle. So that's my uh, th second pro show. So what I did before that was Pittsburgh Pro. Yeah. Then but I this, did This is a, no longer natural. This right? is no longer natural. That's so you went, so you went, no injectables. Yeah, yeah. So you went from this guy to this guy. So there's yeah. a definitely a little, there's definitely a change. Um, and then after this, where did you, you did two more or one more? One I more did Pittsburgh before that, that New York pro, I was top five. And then I did uh, Puerto Rico after that. And I got second and I didn't qualify for the Olympia. Okay. So then the next year they start classic. They start classic. And that, those three pictures that you saw of like the men's physique and the, the, the classic in between with the big trunks was my first yeah. classic show, which was a Pittsburgh pro. Okay. So we'll go back to the pictures in a minute. I just want to ask you, so. When you see classic come on board, are you ecstatic? You're like, this is, this is made for me kind of thing. Oh, I did a backflip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, cause I didn't know what I was going to do. And like, I, so I was, I was, I wasn't really willing to take the thing about anabolics with me is I always wanted to look like Ronnie and Dorian and, and, and Kevin. So I knew I had to do that to get to that level, but I kind of just wanted to get as far as I could naturally. And I, I, I wanted to have a reason to do it. And I didn't really want to do it for men's physique. And yeah, that's why yeah. I refrained from men's physique. I just took a tiny amount. Yeah, yeah. So classic comes about and you're like, this is perfect. This is made for me. Yeah. And then that was your choice right away. Is anybody coaching you at this time? Like, who's your coach at this time? Anybody? No. So up until this point, it was just me and one of my friends that was just helping me out and just figuring it out. And I, I knew I knew nutrition pretty well and I was trying to learn my body, but I didn't know what I know now. So once I decided to go classic, I was like, I'm not messing around. I'm taking this seriously. I started researching all the coaches and listening to them speak. And I uh, decided on Chris Aceto. Okay. Have you, are you still with Chris Aceto? I'm not. You're not. Okay. How long were you, how long did you work with Chris? 2016, we did Pittsburgh together and won, did yeah. New York together, won, did the Olympia and got second. Wow. And then 2017, I only did the Olympia and I got um, fourth. I fell back after that second. So it was a fourth or fifth. I think it was fourth. So what? Okay. So how many, you've done the Olympia, what, four or five times? Uh, 16, 17, 18, and 19, four. I, I sat out this year. Why did you sit out this year? Well, we could get to that later on. Well, we can we can fast forward. So you found classic, and you're and you're doing, obviously doing really well. Where did you place in nineteen? In nineteen, I placed eighth. eighth. I think it was my best all around physique, and it yeah. was my worst placing. How do you place eight? Listen, I'm not I'm not trying to blow you up or anything, man. I'm not you know I don't I try not to do that. I mean, 
but I'm just being completely honest. Like you have an amazing physique. So how does like, you know, I'll share this again. Like, how does this take eight? Okay. So I feel like we should do another podcast, but <laughs> why? <laughs> that's, that's 2016. Okay. So I'm, okay. I'm, li- I'm small here. Like if you look at, I don't want to go into too much detail, but if you guys look at Pittsburgh pro New York pro 2016, and then you look at this guy, I'm like twice the size. And that's all because of hydration. Okay. I basically weighed in on Thursday and I competed right there on Saturday. So I was, I look like I'm twice the size of the New York pro. Okay. When I won, I beat Doreen Charles for Pittsburgh in New York. I look like a shrimp. Yeah. Yeah. But here, in my opinion, I look like a classic bodybuilder. I'm blasting full, but if you look at my back shots, I'm a little bit smooth. I'm a little bit washed over. I could have used like a diuretic the night before. Yeah. That two and a half days of eating and drinking filled me out, but it made me soft from behind. Whereas it looks like I'm not conditioned, but I was sh- I was peeled. I love that. I love that look. I like that look a lot. Let's see. You had a back shot somewhere. There's a back shot, kind of. I think that's my like my worst look was 2017. I think. Um, it's weird. It's like all front shots. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter. Anyway, the point is, so you go on. Uh, what I'm wondering is, how did you go from second to fourth to eighth in 2019? Is is it something you did, or is the competition getting stiffer, or or what is what is changing in these the four years? I, the competition got stiffer, but no, I wasn't, I wasn't good. I, I, I've, I've never till this day. I love that shot of me and Keon. I think Keon's one of the most aesthetically pleasing bodybuilders today in any division, by the way, but I just haven't been on, man. I haven't been on. I haven't peaked for the morning shows ever. You know, I keep coming off. I have a hard time making weight. So I kind of had a hard time making weight in 2016. Yeah. But it just got worse and worse. And you take, um, Look, everything we're saying here is truthful and transparent. A lot of, of people don't believe it, but you take somebody 36 years old that bodybuilded naturally from 13 years old and you give them this much, yeah, they're going to grow. So yeah. I had a very, very hard time making weight. Okay. And with Aceto, the weigh-in was 205. It became 210 the next year and then 215. Every year I had a hard time. Yeah, yeah. So, so- in 2017, when I got second in 2017, I lost 21 pounds in a few days in Vegas wow. with, a, with a rubber suit walking outside, yeah. um, you know, just killed my physique. And then I didn't come back to life till a day and a half after the show. Yeah, this is something John went through because I remember, you know, I worked with John Meadows, but he was competing with at the same time I was, even though he was my coach. And John looks best at like 225 but he was doing the 212 uh, class. Yeah. So same thing. He was sitting in a sauna for like nine hours trying to drop like 10 pounds so he could make weight, but it never looked right Yeah. because it's like his body looked best at 220, 225. So it's almost sounds like that's kind of something you're going through is you built so much muscle over the years. Now you, how are you? So how do you rectify the situation? Like what can you do moving forward? And, but before we skip ahead to what you're going to do move for, moving forward, what happened this year? as to why you sat out so basically after that after with aceto i went and worked with my good friend andrew vu okay um and i worked with him i worked with justin miller after that i'm sorry and we did the arnold and we did the olympia in 2018 
And um, I was just, I was, I was soft and bloated. Justin's a good friend of mine. I love him. The Arnold was probably one of our, my best showings ever with Justin, but the Olympia, we didn't come in good. Mm -hmm. And then I worked with Andrew after that. I worked with Andrew for the 19. I think 2019 was the best overall physique because I brought my legs up and I was just peeled and I was, it was looking good and full and I wasn't dying the last few weeks. So I was lifting very heavy, Um, but again, I made weight in the saunas uh, when I came out of weigh-in, I had about two meals and some water, went to the gym in Vegas. I trained and I have a video and I think it's the best I've ever looked. And when you come out of a sauna, you'll never look that good again. Yeah, you I know. No subcutaneous water. I know. So, and then you, you know, you fast forward and your my body is trying to compensate for that water that I drained out of my muscles, my intestines. You drain that water from everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're talking about like walking out of the sauna, not being able to see straight and that, that type of dehydration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when the water goes back and you rehydrate as a fighter, great, you're rehydrated. It doesn't matter where the water goes, but as a bodybuilder, it doesn't go exactly where you want it to go. So I never looked the same. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to make excuses. Like I, you know, the, the competition did get stiffer, but I don't, I'm not nailing it. I'm not consistently nailing it. And then when you, when you come in a little watery or a little flat, your weaker body parts look the worst. So my legs have, I've had a hip issue and I found out I have a torn labrum in my hip this year, but my legs were always a little bit behind my upper body. And yeah. in 2017, it looks like I had no legs because I was so watery. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, you know, this, this in 19, I felt like it was my best package, but again, it just in prejudging, it just didn't nail it. If you mm-hmm. watch a lot of the night shows of, of me in the Olympia, I look much harder and crispier. Like in 19, the night show, I look, I look good in my opinion. You don't hear me say that a lot about myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So we're at 20 now. What happens? So 2020 happens with COVID and everything. And um, I'm just hurting, man. I have a lot of injuries. They pretty much started bothering me like right after I started competing in classic. Cause I'm already 23 years into training hard and heavy. I, I was training so heavy and hard before I ever competed. Yeah. So I got the left shoulder, the left bicep, and then the hips and TFL were really bad, but I didn't know what those were. Sure. Um, and just, I was just having a really, really hard time. Um, and I just kept saying, you know, next month, next month, next month, kept going through the motions, started my Olympia prep. And um, I actually found out a few things this past few days, to be honest with you, that make more sense to me now, but I just wasn't responding. I was in pain. I wasn't enjoying my workouts. I was dieting and I wasn't losing weight. I wasn't getting leaner. I was mm-hmm. doing the cardio and it felt like my body was fighting me. And I just kept pushing through, pushing through and saying, all right, we'll see next week. I won't make the decision yet. Yeah. Um, and I'm very conservative with everything. So I wasn't going crazy. I don't blast anything. So I just kept going up until seven weeks out. And that's the point where you got to decide if you're going, going to do the show and and take what you need to take to, to look the way you need to look. And I said, I'm not going to do that. I kept dieting and kept, you know, trying to get in shape, but I just didn't, I pulled out. Did you find out, you said you found something out in the last couple of days. Do you mind talking about what that is? Do you find out why your body's fighting you? You know, I shared my blood work with somebody that I met and I shared it eight years back to 2014. Yeah. And he mentioned that um, he saw signs of like my thyroid being off. Okay. Okay. And again, I haven't spoken to about and anybody about this and I haven't mentioned to anybody. I'm literally going back on Tuesday to get blood work. Uh, my mom does have Hashimoto's. I, I can't okay. even fathom because I've always been very healthy. We don't really have anything except for my mom having Hashimoto's, anything in our family. 
what exactly is Hashimoto's for those that don't, I, I don't know exactly what Hashimoto's is either. It's what exactly? I don't know that much about it, but it's a, it's a thyroid deficiency. Okay. Okay. So you're, a lot of people that have Hashimoto's, they take T3 or T4 combo yeah. one or the other. So the interesting thing was when a bodybuilders get sick, they always, everyone blames it on bodybuilding and if they're taking anything, but there were signs of it in 2014 when I got that blood work, when I was natural. Yeah. That's what kind of frightened me, you know? Yeah, yeah. So now when I look back and think about it and I called Andrew, it kind of makes sense because I get conditioned. I get pretty lean, but I'm not Skeletor. I'm not yeah. that guy that you can see like his freaking rib cage through his back. Yeah, yeah. Why, but why aren't I? I, yeah. I do not mess around. Like I never cheat on my diets. I train hard and heavy. I do my cardio. And if you saw my diets for these Olympias that we're talking about, you would cry for me. I mean, I'm starving myself to get in condition. But I don't think that necessarily means something's wrong with you because I mean, there's lots of guys I could point to like, look at Akeem Williams. Akeem Williams looks like he diets his ass off. He's shredded. His quads are peeled. His glutes are peeled, but his back still has a little bit of thickness on it. Like it doesn't get completely shredded. So it's like, is it possible that there's nothing really wrong with you? And maybe it's just a genetic thing that you takes you just a little bit more, or maybe you can't get that paper, paper, thin skin. Maybe um, the paper, thin skin, that's definitely an, a possibility, but look, if my T, my T3 or T4 levels are off. Off blood work, yeah. but what also worries me is like, even afterwards, you know, I see my competitors and my friends eating tons of food four or 500 grams of carbs, which isn't a lot for a guy my size. I can easily be 260. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I see them eating like that and not being shredded, but looking like you could see their abs and like their vascularity. That's not the case with me. Since I got mm -hmm. into classic to keep my weight down, I've been dieting all year round. Mm -hmm. at, two, at 235, like a few weeks ago, I have a ton of pictures that I, I did for my app, my fitness app. Yeah, yeah. You know, I look pretty good. I'm, at, I'm eating 100 grams of carbs. Yeah, yeah. That, wow. that tells me there's something off. And then besides yeah. that, I don't want to just talk about, you know, problems. But besides that, I'm tired all the time and I have a lot of pain. So I wake yeah. up tired. I wake up with pain and I haven't been able to have a good workout in like almost a year. To be so, let, so let me ask you this. This is actually good for people listening. If there are <clears throat> some younger people listening, you obviously love the way you train and you say, you, you know, you learn from watching Dorian and Mike Mentzer and these things. And I think about this in my own career. Sometimes I've had my share of injuries. If you had to go back and do it over again, would you be an eight to 12 guy? Would you be more like a Dexter Jackson type training? Would you be more like a, a Durham Charles type training? Or would you stay doing what you, cause the, the conundrum is bodybuilding is supposed to be fun. That's why we love it. Right. You have a passion for something. And if you have a passion for lifting in the four to six rep range, you don't want to go in there and lift for 10 to 12. But if somebody told you, Hey, when you're 40 or when you're 35, whatever, you're going to be a lot healthier what would you tell that kid coming up? Hey, I know you love this, but do it this way. Or would you say, do what you love? Ultimately, it doesn't matter what I say. You got to do what you love. That being said, the human body is frail, man. I mean, our, uh, secretaries have arthritis. There's not one athlete on this planet that doesn't have injuries and aches and pains. So to answer your question, if I went back, would I have done eight to 12? No. And if I did, would I have ever gotten to where I did? Would I be able to win that show naturally? I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. But there were times I was never an ego lifter, but there were times where 
I didn't have to go that heavy. You know what I mean? Like I was doing 60 pound side laterals and no one was even matching me. And then I did eighties. I didn't need to do the eighties and I did them. It looked like I did them good. You know, I I was curling 80 pound dumbbells for a solid 10 reps on each arm. It's not, it wasn't necessary. Yeah. So, you know, I I didn't need to do that. Hey babe. So uh, that I would say, you know, park the ego, don't go too crazy, but Mm -hmm. You get, if you're the type of guy you're going to push yourself and you're going to go all in, I mean, that builds a lot of dense muscle. And I say, so be it, you know, yeah. the, the newest medical studies and, you know, doctors like Brad Schoenfeld show that 30% of one rep max guys training at 30% of one rep max yeah. is very light builds just as much muscle as training at 80% of one rep max. But yeah. we're never going to train with 30% of one rep max because that means we're going to have to do 50 reps. I'll fall asleep with a bar over my head. And also it's, it's, um, you know, hyperplasia, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't stick the way that that yeah. dense muscle fiber does. I agree. But Dexter training the way he does, Dexter started training that way when he got older, he never trained like Ronnie and neither did flex, but they did lift heavy in the beginning years, you know? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I also think that it's, it's not fair for a lot of guys to compare themselves to these guys because, you know, flex lift, looked at a weight, he grew, he picked it up before he curled it, he grew. And then when he curled it, he blew up, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So I, I got you. No, you're hundred percent right. I just always have to ask the question because I have this debate in my own mind time and time again, because I always like to lift heavy as well. And I always think to myself, had I, had I done something different in the beginning, would I be healthier now? Would I have less injuries now? But then it would it have been as fun. And I have to love, like, there's part of bodybuilding that's more of a passion than anything. So um, I couldn't tell somebody not to do what they love either. So it's kind of, we're in the same boat that way, but, uh, moving forward. So what's going, are you competing this year? Have you figured things out? Do you plan on getting back on stage? So I'm planning on competing. I want to compete and be on stage 2021. It didn't feel right. Not, not being on stage to be honest with you, but I got to just make sure my health is good. Like this shoulder, I just came from physical therapy earlier and this shoulder and bicep is really killing me. The Mm -hmm. hip is killing me. So it's, it's really tough. Uh, I'm not one to really talk about these things this is literally the first time I'm talking about it to anyone or on camera, but I, I like to share once I'm better, but yeah. when I go through it, it's difficult. So yeah, it's, it's tough because sometimes you don't know where to, to look. I'm tired. I have aches and pains and my injuries. They're not that bad. I don't think like if you get an MRI, any bodybuilder gets an MRI, it's going to show tears everywhere. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So is my tear is my bicep. You know, I went to Metroflex, the original Metroflex, I trained at Ronnie's gym and I had to lift the 225 pound dumbbells. So I did, you know, I one arm rode them. I did, you know, seven plates yeah. on the hammer strength row. And I ended up, I think I ended up tearing my bicep from that. Cause like months later it started hurting, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that was overkill. That wasn't necessary, but to answer your question, you know, I just need to figure out what's going on here. Like I went for a sleep study because some people, yeah. my doctor was like, maybe I'll sleep apnea because I'm waking up tired. So yeah. I just feel like I need to get better. And when all this stress and recovery kind of figures itself out, I think my injuries will get better. But if there's a thyroid issue, I need to address that. Whatever it is, I just need to, I want to be better. I just want to be healthier and be able to train. I haven't sure. enjoyed training in a solid year. Yeah. And I feel like I'm not willing to walk away. I'm, I'm not done. I've never been at my best. I don't care what anyone says or what people think. And the competition got harder. Yeah, it did. But I can be better. Yeah. yeah. And I've never, I've never been at my best on stage. If I'm at my best on stage and I lose or I win, then so be it. Yeah. But I, I haven't been my best. Yeah, I know. I know, I know the feeling. It, it, 
it's sometimes the winning and losing isn't as important as feeling like you nailed it. So yeah. I, I understand that feeling. What, how old are you right now? If you don't Sorry. mind me asking 40, what is, what do you, I want to ask kind of what I want to get into career things because one of the things I want to delve into is sponsorship stuff because there's a lot of young guys watching and they want to, you know, they're, they're following in your footsteps in classic or men's physique. And they want to know how to make a career of this whole thing. But I also want to ask what's, what's in, what's in Arash's future. Like as far as career wise, where do we go from here? So let's start with the beginning. Like where was your first sponsorship? Where did you, how were you able to compete and make a living? Did you have other careers or was it right from, from, from competing right from the beginning? No, I had other careers. Uh, for me, competing, I didn't want sponsors. I wasn't okay. doing this to be on the cover of magazines or to to have sponsorships. I didn't even have an Instagram. Okay. I, I was bodybuilding because it was my passion. It was my it was in my blood, you know? So yeah. I was a stockbroker at the early age of 19. I worked in my pet parents' uh, restaurant growing up, and then I got into real estate. So when I okay. started competing, I was in real estate. Um, and I had no, no uh, plans of ever having a sponsor or making money off of social media or anything like that. That just kind of happened as a aftermath. Okay. So is that, would you say to somebody, I mean, it's, I guess it's different when you start competing at 34 years old, but would you say to somebody, even if they were 24 years old, that's the better way to do it? Cause then you're not relying on anything or anybody. You know, I always do. I, I, I answer this question a couple times a month in person and on Instagram. And what I, first the reason I, first thing I ask them is why? Why do you want to do this? I'd say 96% of people, not just in fitness and bodybuilding in every aspect of life are doing what they're doing for the wrong fucking reason. Yeah, I can see that. Right? Because of, because of what you think is cool, because of what it looks like to others or because of what your parents told you to do. So first question I ask is why, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. um, and other than that, there's no secret about bodybuilding. We're the lowest paid athletes on the planet. So if you're doing it to be a multimillionaire, then dude, you're doing it for the wrong reason. <laughs> yeah. Can you make money yeah. as a bodybuilder on social media with these platforms and um, with YouTube? Yes, you can, but it's very rare. Yeah. My sister's a professional. My sister's a world renowned artist. We're both doing something that's very, very rare with a high uh, failure rate. So sure. it's, you know, nine out of 10 kids that are going to try to be bodybuilders and be on Instagram and get sponsorships and make real money. I'd say nine or eight of them are going to fail. And I'm sorry to say that I'm not a pessimist, but it's mm -hmm. just the truth. Well, okay. Let's say, so we've established that it's probably always good to have a plan B or a way to make money just in case, especially nowadays. It seems like there's more avenues to make money, but it also seems like the competition is a lot stiffer too, because there's so many people yeah. trying, trying to be influencers and trying to get contracts. So we established that the first thing to do is to make sure you have some type of back backbone to your whole financial situation. But if you're chasing that sponsorship, how do you land that first one? Provide value, man. Posting a picture in your underwear is not going to get you a sponsorship. And if it does, it's not going to be a valid sponsorship. You, you guys need to provide value to your sponsor and to your audience. You need to teach people. You need to speak or you need to do something. Just There's always somebody with a prettier face and a nicer body and bigger arms and a nicer abs. And they're, they're a dime a dozen right now on social media. Yeah. So what sets you apart? Yeah. You know, and I'm not talking about curling, hanging upside down with like a freaking, you know, yeah, bouncing not, ball. Yeah, you don't mean gimmicks. Yeah. Yeah, no gimmicks. You need to provide value. And you know, bottom line is there's way too many athletes and bodybuilders and people out there that are selling products. And 
they don't stand by the product. They don't provide any value. They're just selling them because they look good. And you don't want to be that person because that doesn't last. People, mm -hmm. people see through that, you know? So you need to provide value. Like, look, for every competitor out there, if you guys want to be the social media bodybuilder and, and have a sponsor and make money, do this, document your prep. Yeah. Promise you from documenting your prep and putting it on YouTube, you're going to get more fans, more followers, and possibly more money than actually winning that show. Yeah, that's a good point. It is actually a very, very good strategy because people like following a story. And sometimes it doesn't matter if the person's Mr. Olympia or if it's somebody's first show. Some people are just kind of like following that, yeah. that, that journey. So it's a good, definitely a good, good advice. Um, what is, are you married? No, no kids. No. Any, anything in the future? Are you planning? My girlfriend's sitting right here to my right. <laughs> <laughs> anybody I, that knows, should, knows me or follows me know they know maria she's on my page and so forth should i just ask her then are you good <laughs> she's, she's uh nodding her head no okay <laughs> um so so you're set then so even if you decide not to compete or not to do anything what is it you're doing in the space now though uh career-wise i mean i know you have real estate but are you doing something in this i know you have i think you have a fitness app that you just launched I just launched my fitness app. You know, I still, I still do the social media thing and it, it can be lucrative. And there I go through, I go through different phases and times in my life where I'm a little bit more when I'm feeling good and I'm training and I, I'm just, I have that good energy. I'm a little bit better with social media. When mm -hmm. you're down and out and having a little bit of pain, there's times where you fall off, you know? So for yeah. a few weeks, like a few weeks ago, I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. You know, I have the fitness app. I worked on that for like six months before launching it. So it's like an encyclopedia of exercises and there's actual programs that I built that I've been doing over the past years. Is there, and, is there somewhere I can see it online? Yeah, on my Instagram, there's uh there's you can't actually see the app, but there's the link in my bio. People put that in, they plug in their email, and then it sends you to the app. One sec, I'm just gonna see what I can see. Sure. Oh, okay. So this it's is basically like you can choose from following programs four to six weeks, but so, so is this the app here, obviously? Yeah, this is it. So there's sections of uh, like insights where I've recorded videos, common questions about nutrition, about training. Um, there's a whole nutrition guide. It's just me explaining and breaking down a lot of common questions and misconceptions. The people that are using the app, they can message me if they have any problems or share their progress or ask me questions and then tell me what they want to see. And I upload more. You, more got, a, you got a whole nutrition guide in here. Yeah. Basically, it has a ton of details on food. Uh, shopping list, meal prep, but it also sh basically gives you the formula of how to create your own meal plan and calories. Although I think that's a good starting point at our, at our level, what we do is go by eye and the scale, right? Dude, this is incredible. This oh, is, okay. you know, it's funny. I don't, I, I don't know how anybody can't fucking succeed anymore. Pardon my language, but like, <laughs> it's like, you're basically a coach on their phone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how can they not like you just said, coming up, you had to, you couldn't afford magazines and you had to kind of just get word of mouth from this guy or that guy or kind of learn your own thing and figure it out. Now it's like, there's so much available to them. And I don't know how much does the app cost? It's a dollar for the first month. And then after that, it's 14 bucks a month. It's nothing. It's like a, it's like a two protein shakes. Well, one of the main reasons I did this is I've always, I've been a coach since like I started. I mean, even before I competed, I was coaching people. Mm. And, you know, I never did it full time. I just did like few friends here and there favors. I had a couple paying clients, but I never wanted to be a coach with like 50 or hundred clients. Um, 
And, you know, I, I would raise my prices and I, I just feel like for what we provide, where you're talking to the person, you're giving them weekly updates and 20 years of knowledge, like what people charge 150, 200 bucks a month, it's not worth it. Yeah. And bringing my prices lower and lower, it wasn't worth it to me. So I'd rather not take as many clients and just charge what I charge. And I figured there's a lot of young guys out there that want to work with me. Uh, I'd get emails all the time and I would tell them my, my rate and they're just, they couldn't afford it or whatever yeah. the case may be. So this app is kind of like uh, having me as your as your coach in your pocket. And the fact that they can message me, I think they're getting a lot for their money. You know, it's funny is it's kind of like you're reaching a lot more people in a lot in a lot more efficient way. Yeah. It's kind of like when I started the podcast, like we do, I do the one with the guys. And even though we talk about a lot of dumb shit and have laughs, um, there's a lot of information that gets put out. So it's like, I feel like I can, like I, I coach for a little while. It's, it's not, I don't, I'm like you, I don't want to coach 50 people. I like coaching like four or five people that are serious. And I like being able to do the podcast because it reaches, you know, all the information you're giving me now is going to reach however many people where we couldn't, you know, I couldn't do that like just with single emails. Yeah. So I feel like it's more valuable just like your app is you're going to get, you know, thousand, 2000, 10,000 people sign up and uh, you can teach them all at once. So it's, it's a very valuable thing. Um, I want to switch over to one of your hobbies, which is you said is your passion, which is also my passion. So I saw this, uh, <laughs> I saw this video I want to pull up. I can't, mm-hmm. I, I got to find it real quick. What are you, what are you driving right now? I have a BMW 5 Series okay. uh, M Sport 540, nothing too crazy. And then I have okay. an E46 M3, which is a 2004 M3. It's the real last the real... M they ever made. Is it manual or automatic? Uh, manual, of course. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. I can't, how come I can't find that video now? I just saw it earlier today. It's the one that I'm kind of doing. The... Yeah, I found it. I found it. Okay, one sec. So this is what your real passion is. Somebody asked me the other day if I would retire from bodybuilding if I could race cars, and I said yes. Oh, of course! I'd <laughs> you'd have to cut off a few of your a few pounds of muscle, but yeah. I know I'd have to lose like a hundred pounds. But so I ask you the same thing. So if you could race cars for a living, would you retire from all this? Damn, that's a tough question. Um, you know, maybe after this year. I just feel like I'm I'm not done with it, you know, with bodybuilding. Okay, one um, sec. I, I gotta I wanna just let's this was actually a good cardio analogy. Oh, you can't. I didn't realize you put music over it. <laughs> I was I was uh, comparing steady state cardio to hit cardio. <laughs> so I have a, I have to I have to ask you a question though. So you did that. And the cameraman is standing there. Are you so good at doing, at drifting and doing donuts that he didn't move or? I couldn't. I was like, listen, I'm not going to hit you. I'm going to basically drift around you and have the bumper like at your knees. And he wouldn't do it. So I was like, all right, I'll do this. But just just don't move. If you get scared, just close your eyes. So so you knew you knew you were going to be able to throw the car right in that yeah. spot. Yeah. All right. Um why how much of you how where did you learn this kind of like where'd you learn the maneuvers it was not easy man because again i didn't grow up with it like i didn't have a dad with the garage working on cars yeah i was just obsessed obsessed with racing and i didn't want to just go fast light to light like i wanted to be fast you know yeah yeah so before i could ever afford a fast car i got into motorcycles oh shit and for four or five thousand dollars on craigslist you can buy a lamborghini 
performance out of yeah. a motorcycle. Out of so motorcycle. Yeah. I started getting used to high speed, my eyes and brain. And I got to the point where I was riding 1000 CCs, full leather suit every night, yeah. 150 to 175 miles per hour, seven days a week. Wow. Where, and how old were you? Sorry, are you for- sorry, don't do this at home. But like we were running from the cops every single night, again, full leather suit. Like I never rode to the, are gym. you allowed, are you allowed to say this? Like, do I have to cut this out? <laughs> this is a long time ago. So if anyone wants to prosecute me. Yeah. Yeah. So how old were you at that time? I'm just, I'm just trying to be cool and showing off. I think. Yeah. 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 Nothing really happened. Yeah. How old were you? I got my first bike right when I graduated high school that summer. But it was a small Yamaha YZF 600. It was a little small bike. And I met these older guys that were racing like they were lunatics. And I couldn't keep up with them. I'd be full throttle, six gear, and they would just leave me. Yeah. So I went and got a Honda CDR 900 double R. Yeah. And I was out after that. I got so fast. And I just really, I just... I just took to it really, really like when I bought that first bike, I paid the guy and I said, okay, so what do I do? And he looked at me. He's like, what do you mean? I said, how do you get it to go? <laughs> I didn't know what the clutch was in the first gear. So he's like, Oh my God, you're going to kill yourself. And he made yeah. fun of me. I yeah. rode away. I came back the next week and I smoked him and all of his friends on the highway. Is it, you think it's cultural? Do you think it's something? Do, uh, it's, Cause Wait, our, cause no. I know, listen, every Arab middle Eastern Persian person I know is crazy in a car. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I wonder sometimes if it's something like in our blood, I don't know what it is, but like, I don't know anybody from that region of the world that drives slow. Like my mom's 80. She drives fast. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, dude, I just, you know, there's, there's guys that like to drive fast and then there's guys that like to race. Like when you go to the racetrack, you realize this because the racetrack will humble you and turn you off. If you don't love it, you'll be yeah. like, I'm not coming back. I have a lot of friends who go to the racetrack People think you go fast in the racetrack. You do not go fast in the racetrack yeah. unless you're on a racetrack with a quarter mile, you know, straight away, but it's very technical. Yeah. So I just, I just always had a passion for it, man. How you many, know, I, have, I have a, there's a track bike right there in the corner. I don't know if you can see nice. it. Nice. Yeah, I can. It's a little dark, but I can see it. Um, so you're still riding motorcycles then? No, not really. That, Does bike that, is, that one back there doesn't run? It's just a no. showpiece. No, it's a, it's a track bike that I built and I yeah. took it to the track. I used to do track days, but the past like four or five years, it just, I didn't start it up. I was always in prep in the summertime and that thing is, is no lights, nothing. So every time I go out, I would get, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd harassed by the cops try or to something. get pulled over. Yeah. So when did you get into, ra- did you ever get into racing cars or was it just racing bikes? So my, one of my closest friends is actually Sadiq's cousin. Okay. Um, he, he uh, I met him at the dealership and we started, he was like a BMW fanatic and we raced amateur endurance racing in a, in a three series with an M3 engine in it. We did that for two seasons and then I, I got kicked off the team, but, um, why, why, <laughs> why'd you kick off the team? Honestly, like I was, I don't know. I was, I was in the, I was one of the faster ones on the team and I think I was just driving the car really hard and there was a little bit of, uh, I was, they didn't expect me when I came on the team, they looked at me and they all kind of like laughed under their, their, they, they, didn't, they didn't think I could drive. Cause I was just big. Oh, you're yeah. You didn't fit the I mold. Could barely fit in the car. And then they didn't see me drive cause the car broke down. And then the next race, I didn't get a chance to drive. And then finally, when I drove, I was faster than everybody on the team, you know, but, uh, so you, so you race car, which one do you like better racing cars or motorcycles? Um, I got I to tell I'd have to say cars because motorcycles, you got to start at a very early age. If I took it seriously in my, like in my twenties, I would have been good, but you, you can't get at a professional level racing motorcycles if you didn't start when you were a kid. 
So when you say you want to, like, I guess we're a little different because when you say you want to race cars, you're talking about you were on a team and you actually want to race cars and race like actual, like actually race cars. Yeah. I'm talking. I love messy. What are you talking about? I'm just driving on the street and stuff. No, I'm talking about going to the track, but I just go to the track with some buddies and fuck around. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do you one day. I love doing that. Um, track days are great. I've actually not done many track days in the car. I did a lot of track days on the bike, but when you actually race against other people, I, everything for me just goes away and it's just like heaven. It's, I can't explain it. So I did it. I I've, the reason I don't do it is that, you know, you said like you do it and either you love it or you hate it or whatever. The reason I don't do it is because it's expensive, especially if you don't know how to drive properly, because I had my Corvette and we took it to the track and it was the best probably the best like fun day that didn't include alcohol or drugs in my entire life. <laughs> so, so it was probably the, honestly the most exhilarating thing I've ever done, but I melted my tires and I fucked up my brakes and I'm like, this is an expensive fucking hobby. Like yeah. this is not something I can afford to do on a, on a weekly basis or even a monthly basis. No. And, and I really, what's that? And you didn't crash. No, I didn't, I didn't crash. But the thing is, I realize now why, because I show up to the track and I'm in like my favorite car. It's like my Corvette and it's expensive and I can't afford to replace it. But I show up to the track and these guys are in like older BMWs or like Mazda Miatas or like just cars they can dick around in. Right. And they can, they have roll par, roll bars on them and they have the seats ripped out and like the whole, like the whole bit. And I'm like, this is going to be easy. But then I realized why they're doing that because they're not wasting like really expensive cars. They have hobby cars that they go to the track with and that way they destroy them and they don't care. Yeah. So anyway, it's a, it's a fascinating world, but uh, I don't know how I would get into it and and still be able to retain any amount of money possibly. You would would have to get like a really old car that's cheap. And look, bottom line is you're going to crash. If you don't crash, you're not getting better and you're not pushing yourself. There's no top pro racer that hasn't crashed two dozen times. Have you crashed a car or a bike? Yeah. You've dumped a bike? So the way to answer your question from a few minutes ago, the way I I learned how to do that in cars, I didn't have cars that were good. I had like a front wheel drive Nissan Altima from like 1990. (laughs) Anytime it would rain or snow, I would go out and I would lose, I would lose control with an e-brake, get into a slide and then learn how to control it. Get out of here. I would hit the sidewalks. I would hit the curbs. I'd yeah. make sure nobody was around, but I would, yeah, yeah. I would slide too hard and hit the curbs. I would break axles, break wheels. And in New York by Shea stadium, we used to have this junkyard yeah. where like there's these mechanics and they fix shit for cheap. So I would literally go put the car in a lift and zip tie the bumper back and like change the wheels and whatever I needed to do. It, it was cheap. So that's really how I learned. Um, so I crashed. I mean, I crashed a lot of cars. The first like high-end car I had was an E55 Mercedes. It was a supercharged V8, 469 horsepower. It was the fastest sedan in the world at the time. Yeah. I drifted it straight into a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I drifted it right into a tree. Um, and then I had the M5s. I had the V10 naturally aspirated M5. I didn't crash that. Yeah, um, yeah. I had the F10 M5, the twin turbo V8. I didn't crash that, but it got totaled. The, uh, it took water into the motor. So you've always been a European sedan guy. Is that what I'm get- gathering? 
I have love for everything. Most guys that are Beamer guys don't like anything yeah. else. I, I respect all cars. Yeah. I would have probably, if I could afford it, I'd have a, a long, you know, big garage, but BMW, I think is a phenomenal car. Yeah. Um, I like, I like Porsche. I think they're great cars. The new American cars are something else like the Mustang, the Corvette, what you're getting for your money, the, the best bang for the buck. What you're getting for your money is, is phenomenal. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do this. What's your top three. And you can pick any, any genre of car, like whether it's a truck or a sedan or an exotic, but you have to pick three different ones. So what's your top three favorite vehicles? If you could have three of your choice. I can't even answer that. It's I know, but like, I know it might, you might think of a better one, like after, but let's just say for first thing off the top of your head, what comes well, for, up for, for like track car and just like maneuvering and having a weapon, I would say Porsche GT3. Okay. For awesome, like supercar, you know, driving hard too, but not like a full-blown race car. I've always been a Ferrari guy, but I don't know if I'd say Ferrari or like. What Ferrari? Like a LaFerrari or like a oh, SF90? LaFerrari, <laughs> La I would love one. But, <laughs> you know, not not the GT cars. Like I think the new Ferrari is the F8. Yeah. Uh, so That's nice. Yeah. My cousin had a couple of 488s, 458s. I drove them pretty impressive cars so you know okay. something from that caliber either like i like the mclarens too a lot but i don't i don't love turbo turbo lag and i hear they're yeah. very laggy so where well i mean i don't know the the 720 i drove a 720 and a, and uh what's the other one the 650 lt yeah. or i don't know man i didn't feel any lag like <laughs> the 720 man i mean obviously look you have a lot more experience racing than i do so you would probably feel something that i didn't yeah. but it was probably the fastest car I've ever driven. Like the 720, it was like, it felt like I was driving a motorcycle. Wow. Like we, we put a sport mode and we found a long strip where I could just kind of, kind of give it. And I couldn't keep up with the paddles. Like it was like, just click, 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 <laughs> click. So anyway, it was just, yeah. But okay. So you have McLaren or Ferrari, which one? Shit. <clears throat> I, I got, you know what? I'll say McLaren because they look insane. Yeah. Insane. Okay. So you have a third choice. What's your third choice? You have, a, you, have a, you have a track car, you have an exotic. What's your third choice? Like a daily driver? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. You know, if I was going to go with electric, because that's that's fair to throw this in here. I never liked electric cars, but that new Porsche, that new sedan electric car. Oh, the Taycan. The Taycan. Yeah. And, and I just, you, sorry, go ahead. I was on the highway like like a month and a half ago. And I see this rocket ship up mm -hmm. ahead about a quarter mile. Yeah. And as I get closer and closer, I'm like, is that a, a Porsche AMA race car? Is that a race car? Like I thought it was a Porsche race car, GT3. Yeah. And it was a Taycan and it was in black. Yeah. And I was like staring at this guy. It looked like a missile. Yeah. It was yeah. Not real. I just uh, met up with my brother-in-law and his friend. His friend owns one. And I don't know if the number is accurate, but I'm like, what's the zero to 60 on this? Because I know electrics are just insane, right? It's like 2.3 seconds. I'm like 2.3 seconds. That's like faster than most motorcycles. The new Tesla Roadster, I think, is 1.9. 1 1.9. 1 yeah. yeah. I was talking yeah. to Juan, Juan Morel. Uh, actually, I've been talking to him every day about cars, but yeah, yeah. Uh, we were talking about it, the new Roadster Tesla. But I hear the Teslas are not reliable and they're not, the fit and finish on Teslas aren't that great. For me, it's the look. I mean, look, even if the Tesla is 0.4 seconds faster, the Porsche looks just like oh, a work, work of art. Tesla's like plastic, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The Porsche looks like a, just a, it's honestly work of art. So yeah. that's your, so that's your daily. 
I guess I'm just throwing that in there. I mean, right now, if you ask me, like, I don't even know if I like electric cars. I've never driven one. I got that, I, I that take like, off that, yeah. that the way they take off, like it's like an RC car, like a remote control car. Yeah. It's quite, yeah. it's quite impressive. Well, yeah, because you get all the torque, like just in a click. Yeah. Um, I think I might go with an M5 for uh, my daily. Yeah, I just <laughs> ordered the. I didn't, you know, when I blew the motor on my M5, the new M5 was out. And I was like, I, I didn't know if I wanted to get it. I didn't fall in love with it. It was expensive. It was like $150,000. The all-wheel drive Beamer is just another yeah. level, so man. Mine, mine was the last rear-wheel drive. Yeah, yeah. And I had the carbon ceramic brakes on them. It was a really nice car. but And I didn't want to tune because there was more than enough power. And I'm a, I'm a driver. I'm not a horsepower guy. Yeah. But right before I took in water and totaled the car, I told my buddy, Dennis, I said, you know what? I want to get a tune on this because BMW turbos, they, they, they deliver so much torque and you just, it's, it was the power delivery wasn't nice. So I'd get yeah. the car sideways. And again, if somebody was, you know, better skills than me, they could probably do it, but I get the car sideways. And when I get off the throttle to feather it and hold it, yeah. the, the torque would cut out. Okay. You know, so it just, it yeah. did, I didn't like it. I think there's way too much. Whereas like the Ferrari, twin turbo v8 you know six seven hundred horsepower the way that it's manageable is they call it crescendo i think i'm yeah. pronouncing it right they give yeah. you the torque slowly through the rev range okay you know so, so it's got to be manageable so your judge when you say manageable your judgment of a car is how easily you can slide it <laughs> yeah <laughs> or or coming out of a turn like if you come yeah. out of a turn in that mclaren yeah and, and you you give a little bit too much gas your yeah. tires aren't sticky enough you're gonna yeah. wrap around a tree yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the scary thing I is just, my, my v10 i'm sorry to interrupt my v10, no, no, that's okay my v10 m5 was the best engine i ever owned in my life it was a v10 500 horsepower naturally aspirated today if you want to get a naturally aspirated v10 yeah. the only car out is the the, the lamborghini huracan if not you got to get a viper so yeah. that car had no torque it would scream and then i'd go sideways yeah, it would scream yeah. and it would make power Whereas yeah. the new M5s, you don't even hear anything and you're facing the tree already. Because <laughs> well, it's all the torque. The car didn't even yeah. rent. I well, was sideways at like 2,500 RPM. I don't, I don't buy my cars to slide them. So I just want to, <laughs> I just want to go really fast. Listen, I, a friend of mine uh, had a BMW M5, a 2019, I think, or a 2020. I don't remember. But they did a small tune on it. And all of a sudden it was 800, 800 horse. Easy. Okay, I raced them in a McLaren, six fifty L. I think it's a six. I think it's a six fifty LT. I think it's what it's called. Um, I fucking. I was in the BMW. He was in the McLaren. I fucking dusted him without even like. <laughs> I was pulling away like he wasn't even moving. Like yeah. it was. So the speed. I fell in love right away. I'm like, this car has everything. It's luxury. Yeah. It's functional. It's big enough for like guys like us, but it's a rocket ship. So I was like. You know, the 2021 BMW M5 is probably my daily. Yeah. Or I also like a Mercedes AMG GT, the four-door. Oh, that car is crazy. That car yeah. is gorgeous, yeah. unique. It's rare, and it's very fast. Yeah. Look, Mercedes, because of, you know, remember the Black Series AMGs? Yeah. 
Yep. So that, that trickled down from Mercedes's race team. And then the, the yeah. technology in the black series trickled down into the regular AMGs. Yeah. AMGs are gorgeous. They're a little bit more flashy than BMW. I, I love them. They're beautiful. And Mercedes has come a long way with their handling. Cause before they, they handled like shit and BMW yeah. with the handler. Yeah. But if you're looking at Mercedes, BMW and Audi, like for anyone out there listening, if you're like more of a driver, you can't, BMW is hard to beat, man. Like, yeah. Even the regular BMWs, like my five series right now is a 540 M Sport. It's not an M5, but I drive that car like a Ferrari and it stays yeah. with me. Man. But it's, isn't it, that's, that's still like 450 horse, isn't it? Uh, 400 horse or something like that? I think it a, is. It's a single twin squirrel turbo inline six. Yeah. It's an amazing engine, but it's not very fast. But you know what's interesting yeah. about that engine? It's a it, BMW is known for their inline sixes. Yeah. It's such a amazing engine the new toyota supra has that bmw inline in it yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. uh we just turned a bodybuilding podcast into a car podcast for the last half an hour <laughs> I, I apologize <laughs> I just, it's, so it's, so the m5 has a twin turbo v8 it's 600 something horsepower they make an m550 that's a yeah. all-wheel drive m550 but this yep. year for whatever reason it got a bigger horsepower jump than any other car yeah, it's it jumps to 523 horsepower, and I yeah. ordered that, so I should be getting that soon. Nice, nice. I, uh, yeah, I love those cars, man. I think they're, I just think they're very well built, very well put together. But I was looking at an Audi RS7 too, it's expensive too. They're more expensive. Well, same price. I mean, the M5 is, I mean, they're both around 150, so they're they're both expensive. They're yeah. I, it, here in, in Canada, I don't know, I don't know. In, I'm biased. I always remember Audi's a little bit more expensive. Audi's fit and finish is bar none. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really, really good car. I think that RS is very, very heavy, but so is the new M5, but it's probably heavier. Yeah. Um, BMWs, one of the reasons that, that you smoke that McLaren besides the tune, BMWs are always, always, always underrated. Yeah. And whenever they come out, the guys, the, the, the reviewers mean, take them and dyno them. You mean underrated, like the numbers that they put up? Yeah. Whatever horsepower number you read on a BMW, add like 15% to it. Really, eh? Yeah. Well, it felt like it, man. I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I have a – the weird thing is I like raw cars too. Like I have a Jeep Trackhawk, yeah. which is not in the realm luxury-wise of obviously any of the three cars we just mentioned. But there's something about that just muscle car feeling also. And you're not going to put a Jeep sideways either. So if you want – I mean, it's not going to work for you. <laughs> but, but when i'm just like when i'm leaving a light i can just you know and it's yeah. bit and it's big inside it's like you know so I, I there's so many when somebody says pick three cars I, I i know how you felt you're like well there's so many yeah right so anyway um listen before you go i always like to give everybody uh a chance to kind of give out a last message or or if you want to promote or thank anybody or anything like that man i just want to give you a minute to kind of say what you want to say yeah well, I'd like to thank everyone listening, everyone watching, you know, the bodybuilding fans, what you guys have to understand is you guys are bodybuilding, you know, figuratively, literally, without you guys out there watching us right now, watching us on stage, cheering us on, we wouldn't have a stage to stand on, you know, so I always, um, I'm very appreciative of the fans, and they basically allow me to do what I do, you know, I, I tomorrow, if there wasn't a stage, I'd still be doing this and training and eating, but to be up there and to be able to be um, on that Olympia stage and be one of the top bodybuilders in the world uh, is truly a blessing. And it's, it's a, an amazing feeling to be able to, to, to share with everybody. So I thank you guys for, for watching, for supporting us. Um, 
and just being there, you know, and allowing yeah. us to have this, have this stage and this, this, uh, setting to, yeah. to do what we love. Yep. Very cool, man. Um, okay. Well, listen, I hope you get your injury sorted out, get everything taken care of. And we hope to see you on stage this year. And, uh, when you do pick a show, uh, I'd like to have you back on and we'll talk about your prep and how everything's going before you get on. I appreciate that, brother. It's a pleasure. Okay, man. Thank you so much for coming on. We will talk soon for sure, bro. All right. Absolutely. Okay, man. Bye-bye.